You're listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for August 21st, 2022, the 11th Sunday after Pentecost. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend Dr. Justin Crisp. It's based on Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. So as many of you know, I have, my wife Jewel and I have a rambunctious pug named Valkyrie. She was a pandemic dog, like I know many of you also have. She is um, just two and a half years old. We just celebrated her second gotcha day, right? The second anniversary of when uh, we adopted her this, uh, just, just a month ago in July. Uh, she is, well, I use the word rambunctious. That's putting it rather politely. Um, my dog has become a little bit of a career liability, I'm afraid. So those of you who are, uh, who are local here to New Canaan know that whenever you go into the church office, you often find Val, as we call her. You often find Val with her best friend, our pastoral pup, Francis. Uh, Val is often the welcome wagon. She, she sits there right by the big red door, and she stares at the door waiting for somebody to come in. Val loves everybody, which is why she waits by the door, but she gets particularly attached to a few people. And I have to say, she's attached to my boss, our rector, Father Peter, which is why she's become a career liability. So Peter says that he will, some mornings, he'll come into work, he'll go into his office, and he will find Val sitting on the couch waiting for him, like staring at the door like, when were you coming in? Then he says that um, sometimes he's on a Zoom call and he'll have the door propped closed. It wouldn't be locked or anything like that. But Val will like back up outside of his office and then run at the door with her head down like this, like a battering ram and go boom, break through the door. And then she'll just shake it off. And then she'll look at him and ask him for a treat. But the worst Zoom call interruption that we have, that's gotten back to me and Jewel so far, is this one. So Father Peter was on Zoom, and Val is in his office, and Val is looking up at him, waiting for a treat or a pet or something like that. And um, she probably began to be a little bit obnoxious. We're, uh, she's doing much, much, much better now, I'm happy to say, about not jumping up on people, but she was probably jumping up on him uh, and annoying him. and so. Father Peter's trying to communicate telepathically with this dog, right? Crazy animal, stop it. I'm a busy man. I'm the rector of St. Mark's Episcopal Church in New Canaan, Connecticut. I don't have time for this. Peter would never say those things, but this is what I'm thinking as Peter's associate rector, right? Difficult to f- for me to find time with my boss, and Val doesn't have an appointment with him. It just barges in and is just like, hey, come on, pay attention to me. He refuses. He doesn't back down. He just sits there, he goes about his business on the Zoom call, he's not going to give Val a treat. Val, uh, those of you who have been to Father Peter's office knows that it's divided up into two rooms. In the back of his office is a sitting room where he often meets with people. And Val went to the sitting room and went number two. As though to punish Peter for not paying attention to her. And I'm like, dog. You don't know the pecking order. The Episcopal Church is a hierarchical church. This is not your place on the ladder. Oh, I was humiliated. Luckily, my boss is incredibly, unbelievably gracious, so I don't have to be so worried about my job. But my dog is very, very attached to Father Peter. The only person to whom I think she's more attached is my wife, Jewel. 
So many, many, of you, uh, many of you know that Jewel and I are celebrating the birth of our second nephew to her brother Josh and our sister-in-law Kathleen. And so um, uh, his name is Carter. Carter was born just over three weeks ago uh, at Stanford Hospital. And while Josh and Kathleen were in the hospital for a few nights with baby Carter, Jewel and I were taking care of their eldest son, Jackson, who's about three. And um, that, that was loads and loads and loads of fun. It's fantastic to be an aunt or an uncle. And Jewel was going to stay, Jewel stayed overnight with Jackson for two nights while they were at Stanford. And I went home and I was on dog duty. I don't know which one of us got less sleep. I think it was me. But she's not here right now, so I can get away with saying that. What happened was Val sat on the edge of the bed. Now, yes, I am a member of the club of people, and I'm not going to out anybody out there, but I know that there are several of you in the congregation, people who let their dogs sleep with them. I'm one of those people. So Val's in bed, but she refuses to go to sleep. She sat on the edge of the bed and stared at the door for two hours, waiting for Jewel to come home. And I'm like, dog, it's one o'clock in the morning, go to bed. She refused to go to bed. When she eventually fell asleep, because she was just tired, she just zonked out, she slept incredibly lightly. So anytime I would wiggle, she would wake up. And anytime she wiggled, I would wake up. And it was like this for two nights. I was very glad when Jewel came home. Val loves to sleep leaning on one of us. She likes to touch one of us. So my sister's a veterinarian and she says that whenever dogs lean on you, I'm sure that many of you, you, you've been with dogs, and so dogs lean on you, they have a way of doing that. My sister says it's a dog giving you a hug. And Val likes to lean on at least one of us when she's sleeping. Better, both of us, especially if she can situate herself long ways, like horizontally in the bed, and so take up as much room as possible. If she can touch both of us, that's when she's really happy. She just wants to be close to us. She just wants to touch us. Jesus heals by touching people. The way that he heals in the Gospels is he gets physically close to people. Physically close to people like my dog likes to be physically close to people, perhaps obnoxiously close to people. But Jesus acknowledges this part of the human condition. We are people with bodies, right? We're not just disembodied souls. We're not just brains on a stick. We have bodies. And the way that we communicate our love and affection for one another is we are close to each other. So we're just coming out of many years here of pandemic, right? And if you were like me, by the end of uh, this time last year, August 2021, you were like Val waiting for Jewel. If you were like me, you were at the foot of the bed, staring at the door, waiting for anybody to come through the door so that you could be within six feet of them. And perhaps, if you were really, really lucky, you could give them a hug. Jesus honors this part of the human condition by healing in this way. So in our gospel lesson this morning from Luke, it appears that he heals first by speaking, and he does. He announces what he's going to do. He says, woman, you are freed of your ailment. But it says that she didn't actually get up. She wasn't actually physically healed until he touched her. He touched her and then she got up. Whatever musculoskeletal issue this woman has, it wouldn't have just been inconvenient, right? So it says that she was bowed over like this for a period of 18 years. Being bent over like that for 18 years would have caused her not simply psychological stress, 
wouldn't have just been inconvenient. It would have taken an incredible toll on her heart. She would have, in her lungs, she would have had cardiovascular issues as like you couldn't imagine. So Jesus setting her free of this is a great good for her. It's as though whenever Jesus comes close to people in the Gospels, their lives begin to go right. There's another example of this, more famous one, than the woman who's bent over from our, from our uh, Gospel today in Luke chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 9. It's one of those stories which both Luke and Matthew have versions of. It's the, the hemorrhaging woman. I'm sure many of you remember that the hemorrhaging wants nothing more than to touch Jesus. She says, if I could just touch him, I'll be healed. I don't have to talk to him. He doesn't have to do anything. I just need to touch him. I just need to get to him. But she's in a big crowd. And the, most, the closest that she can get is she, she can touch the hem of his robe, the hem of his garment. And she grabs the edge of his garment and she's healed. It works. Like in Luke 8, our lesson today, Jesus heals by touching the woman. It's as though when Jesus gets close to you, when you touch him, it's like he's a magnet. And every atom in every cell of your body, every part of your soul, every bit of your mind, every part of you, mind, body, and soul, they're like, they're like little metal shards or shavings. And when the magnet, which is Jesus, gets close to them, they all go in the same direction. They all go up. They all go Godward, which is to say they go towards life. And this is what's going on in the second half of the lesson today regarding the Sabbath. So one of the Ten Commandments, right, is to keep the Sabbath day holy. And the book of Exodus explains you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. The trouble is that it doesn't define what work means. It doesn't actually go into great detail about what counts as work. Are you allowed to walk around? Can you cook? Can you clean, etc.? And so ancient Jews up to today have to interpret this particular Sabbath regulation to determine what counts as work and what doesn't. By the first century, by Jesus' time, there was rabbinic consensus around the idea that you could make a life-saving intervention on the Sabbath and it not be prohibited by the exclusion of work from the Sabbath. For example, if somebody was having a heart attack, say, it wouldn't count as work on the Sabbath, it wouldn't be in violation of the Sabbath to heal that person, to perform CPR, right? That's okay, a life-saving intervention is fine. What Jesus does is Jesus takes that particular interpretation two or three steps further. Jesus says it's not just a life-saving intervention that's okay for the Sabbath. He says it's anything that enhances somebody's life. Presumably, the woman who is bent over could have survived another 24 hours for Jesus to heal her the next day, not on the Sabbath. That's why the synagogue administrator is arguing with him about the fact that well, couldn't you have waited 24 hours? This wasn't a life-saving intervention. It wasn't necessary. Why did you do it today of all days? Jesus gives an example of another Sabbath interpretation, which has permitted people to take livestock and to lead them to water on the Sabbath. Now, going without water for the Sabbath 
not exactly a smart thing for an animal, right? But it's a little less urgent than like somebody is having a heart attack or a stroke. It's on its way to where Jesus wants for his listeners to go, which is to acknowledge that God's agenda is life. Life, 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 and more life. And anything that enhances, anything that brings life is good. It is God's agenda, and it is appropriate for the Sabbath. I long to be able to touch Jesus. If life is what people get by getting close to Jesus, I wish that I could get physically close to him. I wish that I had a garment of his that I could spread out here in front of the church and invite all of you to touch it. At first, I thought this past weekend, it's a shame that I don't have such a garment, right? It's a shame that he was resurrected and ascended and that Jesus is no longer here in the flesh so that we can be physically close to him, so that we can lean on him like my dog leans on me. And then I thought, actually, we do have something quite close to that. We have the sacraments. Preeminently, we have baptism and we have Eucharist. Anglicans and Episcopalians during the Protestant Reformation kept the sacraments intact. We didn't want them watered down, right? right? There were good reasons to be involved in the Reformation, but we didn't want any of the sacraments watered down. And I think that we did this because we saw the importance of providing tangible, touchable ways to see and perceive God. Because otherwise, God is invisible and intangible. You can't see God. You can't touch God. But through the sacraments, you kind of can. I had somebody at the nine o'clock hour who said that a 10-year-old once said to him that the sacraments were audio-visual aids for God. And I love that. I think that's true. There are material ways that we can touch and come in contact with his healing, life-giving power. So we start with the water of baptism, right? And in the sacraments, baptism included we enter into Jesus' story. In baptism, we're doing something which Jesus actually did. Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan by his second cousin-ish, John the Baptist. Um, we're doing something which Jesus himself did. And spiritually, we are entering, according to the Apostle, the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, we're entering into Jesus' own death and resurrection. As the water comes over us, we are spiritually buried with him and we spiritually rise with him. His defeat over sin and death is ours because we come into literal physical contact with the water. And then there's an anointing of oil. Uh, and I'll come back to that in just a moment. If you think about the Eucharist. In the Eucharist, we enter into a particular night in Jesus' life, the night in which he was betrayed, the night before he died. We imaginatively enter into the upper room with the disciples. And we sit there with Jesus as Jesus takes bread and wine, physical, tangible things which we experience in our day-to-day -day lives, and he says, this is my body, this is my blood. Now, Episcopalians famously don't have one single explanation metaphysically for how Jesus is present in the bread and the wine, what in the world is going on in the altar. There's no equivalent of transubstantiation, right? There's no one word that can summarize what Episcopalians believe. What we have instead is we have the acknowledgement of a mystery which we do not understand. 
but in which we are certain that we come into contact with Jesus, we come close to him, we lean on him, and we receive the grace that comes from doing so. Whenever you touch the bread, somehow mysteriously, beyond your comprehension, you are touching Jesus, just as Jesus touched the woman who was bent over. When the wine comes to your lips, somehow mysteriously, beyond your comprehension, you are touching Jesus, you are leaning on him, just as the hemorrhaging woman took the hem of his garment. The sacraments have become incredibly meaningful to me as a priest because I need ways to touch God and to lean on Jesus. I will say that in particular, the line that, I, that the priest says when they're anointing the child with oil after they've been baptized with water has become very precious to me. It's, the line is, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own forever. It's become very precious to me in part because in the last three weeks, I have performed last rites for a young woman who's just short of 30 and for a man who is in his 90s. And with both of them, I reminded them both that when they were baptized, they were marked with oil and as their physical foreheads were marked with oil, the Holy Spirit marked their souls. So the stamp of the Spirit came down on their baptism and made it permanent forever. And I said that you're, the, being marked as Christ's own forever, that, that forever was real, and that it was going to carry them into the forever of eternal life. And you ought to have seen the relief on their faces. You ought to have seen the relief on your faces. It's an incredible honor that we're baptizing Teddy and Brooke and Thomas this morning. You are giving your kids an incredible gift, which is to, which is to get them close to Jesus. The message of Christianity is not that life is easy. It's not that life always go well, goes well. It just doesn't. The message of Christianity is that no matter what happens to your children, Jesus has got them. That Jesus holds on to them forever. Forever, 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 forever. We're going to say a baptismal covenant. And I love the baptismal covenant. It's our way of, uh, of making clear what it is that we're signing up for in the Christian life. But make no mistake. Whether or not we keep this covenant perfectly, and spoiler alert, we're not going to keep it perfectly. Your kids are awesome, but they're not going to keep it perfectly either. God is going to keep God's side. They're marked as Christ's own forever, period. Period. Forever and ever and ever. Amen. This is incredibly good news because the relief that came upon the faces of these two dying siblings in Christ, it's an incredible gift for your children. It's an incredible gift for all of us to remember our baptisms in this way. It means that we can go through life and we don't have to be like my dog Val, sitting at the edge of the bed, staring at the door, anxious and waiting for someone to come home. Jesus has already come home to you. Forever and always. If you want to get close to him, we know where to go. So let's do it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
You can find more sermons on our website, www.stmarksnewcanon.org.